It was a discussion that came up on Friday morning as we were doing the show, and the announcement came down from the Supreme Court of Canada um, ruling that using, or, or a law against, I guess is the more accurate way to put it, the law that said you could not use extreme intoxication um, as a defense for violent acts that you are accused of um, had a lot of you concerned and a lot of you troubled by the fact that now this seems to open the door to people saying, uh, oh, I was just really, really drunk, I was really, really high, and using that as a defense to excuse um, violent behavior. And that's basically what it does open the door to. But as with all of these legal decisions, of course, there's lots of nuance and there's lots of different avenues to take a look at. And, you know, the decision did come with recommendations to the government as how to deal with this in a way that would be constitutional. So let's get into um, a full discussion about what this decision means, uh, why they made the decision that they made. We're going to chat with U of C law professor Lisa Silver now. Uh, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your time today. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's an interesting decision. And as I say, uh, you know, when we talked about it on Friday, a lot of the listeners were really, really like, what? How can that possibly yes. be? Um, um, first of all, the, yeah. de- the, 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 the decision itself, what they were asked to determine was whether or not it was constitutional to deny people that defense, correct? Well, it's a little bit, as you know, as you said, it's a little bit nuanced, yeah. more nuanced than that. Um, it was a specific section in the criminal code that was found to be unconstitutional, and it was placed into the code in the mid-1990s after there was a Supreme Court of Canada decision on the issue. And the issue is also a little bit more complicated as well, Shay, so I'm happy to get into that for your listeners. Yeah, let's do that, because you're right. I mean, the decision that was made, and of course, they're supposed to just be looking at the law and and the Constitution and how the two work together. So so walk us through the decision they made and why they decided what they decided. So I'm actually going to go back to the English common law, because that is where this all starts. Uh, Intoxication was always only a defense for certain kind of crimes. And those kind of crimes were deemed to be crimes that required either uh, an ulterior motive or a higher level of thinking. And so, for example, uh, advanced or extreme intoxication was always a defense for murder. And you could always raise that because you, you couldn't have the fault element of a crime. And a crime requires it's constitutionally and also common law required that, that the Crown prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the person has this criminal intention. Right. Because in our criminal law, we want to make people responsible and penalize them for those wrong choices that they make. And so if they, if they didn't make a, a choice or they didn't have control over their actions, then they shouldn't be penalized. But in any event, so it's, it's always been a defense for murder. But... It was not a defense for what we call general intent crimes, which are crimes that require minimal intent, like assault, uh, like sexual assault, and like manslaughter. So what would happen traditionally, Shay, is that if someone used the defense of advanced or extreme intoxication for murder, they could be acquitted, but then they would be convicted of manslaughter. So there was sort of this idea that there would be this underlying offense uh, that someone would be convicted of because they would be found to be morally blameworthy. So in came this 
case in, in the 1990s, Regina and Davio, and the court had to apply the charter to the rule that you couldn't use intoxication for those minimal intent crimes. And the court ended up saying, look it, we're going to carve out an exception. Advanced intoxication is not a defense to those minimal intent crimes, but extreme intoxication can be. Okay. And extreme is is extreme, Shane. Yeah, extreme. like what's what's the qualifier on that, Lisa? I mean, who determines right. how extreme is extreme? Yeah, yeah. And, and so the court even said it's to be a rare defense because it requires medical evidence. So an accused just can't get up on the stand and say, oh, yeah, I was so drunk. I yeah. just, you know what? I don't remember what happened. That's not good enough. For extreme intoxication, there needs to be a foundation in the evidence. You need expert evidence because extreme means that a person was not even capable of forming that intent. So it's what we call a capacity defense. And it is uh, to be very, you know, very, very restrained in its use. Um, and so, and, and the reason for that is because if you cannot even form that minimal intent, then you, under our law, under our charter, under our traditional uh, principles, you should not be held to be criminally responsible. Uh, a question, and I got this from a lot of the listeners, and it just came in again as we, you and I were yeah. talking, and I'm wondering. So yeah. a lot of people saying, okay, so I kill my spouse or or I, I beat yeah. up my kid or whatever, and I realize yeah. I'm in trouble, and I go out and get completely obliterated and say, oh, oh I was wow. totally loaded when yeah. I did it. I mean, is that possible? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, so as in law, there's always, you know, a concept of, um, first of all, that would be, uh, part of the Crown's case would, would be to prove that the intention to get drunk at that point was to escape criminal liability. Yeah. So there's always an exception as well for, for sort of if you foresaw, if you put yourself in a position that you knew, right, that you reasonably foresaw something was going to happen, then the court usually um, takes a dim view of that, of that kind of scenario. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be case by case for sure yeah. uh, when it comes to murder. Um, there's going to be a lot of evidence that are, that's going to be led. And the Crown's going to be pretty sharp in being able to cross-examine and lead evidence that the person intentionally did this in order to have a defense. Uh, I wanted to ask you, like you say, okay, we, we, if somebody is extremely intoxicated, they can use that as a defense for murder. But does that mean they get away with it? Or does that mean we say, okay, you couldn't form the intent, so we can't charge you yeah. with, in, with uh, deliberate yeah. murder, but we can yeah. get you on, say, manslaughter or something else? Right. Correct. And so that was, that was what the traditional rule was. But then Davio came around and said, well, that's, that, you know, that's fine, except for extreme. So that rare event where the person doesn't have capacity. So that's what Davio said. And so therefore, after Davio, yes, you could use extreme intoxication only as a defense to manslaughter, which would require, as I said, very... Uh, very persuasive um, medical evidence. The Crown usually would call, you know, their own their own medical evidence as well. So, but 
as your listeners are, are upset about this ruling, the public was very upset after that Davio uh, decision came out because Davio was a sexual assault. And so the fear was, well, how are we going to protect the vulnerable in our society? You know, women and children who, who are, you know, often the victims of, of sexual offenses. Mm-hmm. And so the government put in, within a year, they put yeah. in this section in the criminal code, section 33.1, where they said you can't use the defense of intoxication for those minimal offense uh, crimes, minimal intent crimes, where there, where where violence, where there's a, an interference of bodily integrity, um, and they said by by voluntarily drinking, you have the the intention to commit those crimes, and that was the problem, Shay. Yeah, uh, it was the way that they did it uh, that you know, and that's what the court was concerned about. I can explain what the court said was wrong with that, but I have to say when when. You know, and I was practicing in, in, in the 1990s, and I, I know that many of us were like, how is this constitutional? Really? Okay, yeah, and I, I've read that from other analysts saying, yeah, we kind yeah. of thought this was coming. Um, it seems yeah. to me in the decision, um, the court said, listen, we know that this is going to upset people. We know this yeah. is going to open it up yeah. to all kinds of, this is what you should do. I mean, yeah. so what are they yeah. saying the government can do? And is that something the court usually does? Okay, well, you know, I mean, when it comes to striking down a section, uh, often the court, um, not often, but the court, the court can give direction, but I have never seen it in this manner in, in terms of being very sensitive to the public. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, the courts are very sensitive, but they usually don't. I, when I read that paragraph, I thought, wow, you know, the court's talking to us, right? You know, the court is actually very concerned about this yeah. as well. Like clearly and they're, they're concerned saying, that open, they're yeah. opening up a door here that they right. know is going to cause yeah. them public grief, so yeah. they're giving yeah. you a way out. Yeah. Yes, and, you know, I'm sure they recall Davio. I mean, Davio from 1993, I mean, it, you know, right, right away the public was upset. There were many, you know, women, uh, you know, uh, equality uh, groups, not-for-profit, you know, sexual assault survivor groups. So they've learned their lesson in the sense that they know that if they, if they, if, if this isn't constitutional, then they need to give the public a, a really good reason why, but also to give them the confidence that this is not the end of the yeah. story. So they, what are they saying can be done? I mean, if it's unconstitutional, it's unconstitutional. Yeah. What's the workaround they've come up with? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so let's just go back to what the problem was. So the problem with this section that they had put in is that essentially it was substituting that voluntary intoxication for the mental element requirement of the any of the particular crime the person was charged with. And the court said you can't do that. I mean you can't substitute. It has to be the crown has to prove the the fault element of the crime. You can't substitute it for something else. So what the court mentioned, and this is actually something that I feel is is certainly um, the way forward, is that instead of focusing on the crime itself, uh, Parliament can create an offense of voluntary intoxication while committing a criminal offense. And then, therefore, 
front and center is that intoxication. The crime is all about that intoxication. Uh, whatever fault element will be required, it'll be that. So um, that, I believe, will be much, much more constitutionally favorable, I would suggest, uh, than, than what they tried to do. It's an interesting case. And uh, as you say, obviously, you've got to follow the rule of the law. But we'll see. How long do you think that might take for Parliament to, to come up with this, this solution? Well, well, you know, after Davio, it, it only took them a year. Davio okay. came out in 1993. Uh, they changed the code in 94. But a year's still a long time, yep. Shay. Sure is. So I would, you know, I would have hoped that they would have anticipated this because there were, you know, uh, in Ontario, the section had been struck down. Uh, in Alberta, it had been upheld. So I hope they had already thought this could happen and that they're ready to go. Interesting conversation. Thank you so much for your time, Lisa. I appreciate You're it. Yeah, it's a pleasure.